Well, hey, good morning, everyone. As Paul said, my name is Ben. I'm the campus pastor here, and uh, glad that you're here with us this morning. If you brought a Bible with you, I want to invite you to turn to the book of James, chapter 4. That's where we're going to spend our time today. If you didn't bring a Bible, there are some under the seats around you. This is on page 848 of those Bibles. And if you don't own a Bible, I want you to stop by the Info Hub on your way out. We'd like to give you one uh, as a gift, give you a Bible as a gift today. As you turn into James chapter 4, some of you will undoubtedly recognize the name of Don Shula. Uh, I'm not a big sports fan, but I certainly recognized his name as I came across a story that he told uh, this past week that I thought tied in nicely with what we're going to talk about today. Don, if you didn't know, was the head coach of the Miami Dolphins from 19 until 1995, had a, a great career over those 25 years and even before as he coached uh, in other places, other teams. But uh, Shula tells a story of vacationing at a small town in Maine where he, he and his wife could re simply relax without being recognized, without people wanting to come up and, you know, get an autograph, take a picture with him, whatever it would have been. And, uh, and so they found this location in Maine where they thought they could get away, kind of be uh, just on the fringes, not noticed by anyone. And Sure enough, they traveled there for vacation, checked into the place where they were going to stay, and uh, wouldn't you know, it was raining outside, their first night of vacation. But they decided to make the best of it and to go and see a movie. And so Don Shula and his wife headed to the movie theater, bought their tickets, walked into the theater to find that all of the house lights were still on, and just a handful of people were seated there in the auditorium. And as Don and his wife found their seat and sat down, the, the small group of people in the auditorium started applauding and, uh, and clapping for Don and his wife. And, and Don was, was kind of secretly, you know, he was, he was encouraged by that and he thought that was pretty neat and leaned over to his wife and said, I guess there's literally nowhere that I am not known. And uh, about that time, one of the guys who was already in the theater got up, came over and shook Don's hand and his wife's hand and Man, I'm so glad you guys are here tonight. And, and uh, Don said, you know, I got to tell you, I'm surprised you know who I am. And, and the guy looked real puzzled and he said, should I know who you are? Uh, we're just happy you came because the manager said he wouldn't roll the movie unless we had at least 10 people. <laughs> and uh, so we laugh at that story, right? That's a funny story. I bet Don has told that story a number of times. But I really think that it highlights something that if we're honest is a struggle for all of us. Because all of us at one time or another have struggled with the thought that, that we're more important than we really are. We, we think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. And, and at times, we struggle with this condition that the Bible identifies as pride. And it's the topic that James tackles in chapter 4 of his letter. In fact, the theme of James chapter 4 is found in verse 6. And this is on your notes page if, if you want to write this down. James actually quotes Solomon from the book of Proverbs when he says that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And everything that we'll read today from James chapter four is going to fall into that bigger context of the, the struggle between pride and humility in the believer's life. And so I want you to keep that in mind as we read the first part of, of James four. We're gonna read it together. I wanna invite you to stand as we've been doing for the past several weeks to read this passage together. James chapter four, starting in verse one. Here's what it says. What causes fights and quarrels among you? 
Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity with God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us, but he gives us more grace? That is why scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Let's pray together. Father God, as uh, we so frequently do around here, we wanna thank you again this morning for your goodness, for your grace, for your word. Father, in your word we find uh, leadership, we find guidance, we find knowledge of you. And Father, I pray that you would open up our hearts and open up your, our minds by your Holy Spirit this morning, that we would learn, that we would hear what it is you have to say to us, and that we would live differently because of it. Help us in this by your Spirit, and it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. You may all be seated. So God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And that's a little bit of a different version than what we just read in the NIV, but it's the, the, the way that I learned that passage, maybe the way many of you learned that passage. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And just that one statement really should be enough for, for anyone who is a follower of Christ to really stop and take inventory of their own heart. I mean, to think that, that there might be something inside of me or inside of you that would cause God to, to actually oppose us should cause us to stop and, and to think about this. Now, here's the thing about pride. Pride is really one of the, the most terrible sins in that it's not something that, that's really out there that we necessarily notice on our own. Rather, pride is one of those things that kind of sneaks up on us. It sneaks in. It's, it's working behind the scenes. And it has a tendency to come in without us even ever noticing it. So what I'd like to do today as we work through James chapter 4 is to, is to show you three ways that pride sneaks in. And to get going, let's just jump back to verse chapter one where James says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? And let's pause right there because I, I wanna make sure we understand this statement because there are certainly some of you in the room this morning who right now are experiencing some form of relational conflict. And that likely has included you know, fighting, quarreling, stress, strife, it's conflict, right? It's tension. And in your situation, many of you could point to the exact thing that is the root of that conflict. So maybe for you, it has to do with, with a child. And maybe your child has made a really destructive decision. 
Or, or perhaps it's a, a friendship or maybe a, it's a coworker who made some kind of an unethical choice and, and that has affected your relationship, brought conflict into your relationship. Or maybe it has to do with your spouse. Maybe they're addicted to, to something like pornography, maybe to a substance of some kind. And, uh, and that certainly has, could, could impact the relationship. It does impact our relationships. And these are all things that bring tension and cause fights and quarrels in a relationship. And so why is it that James would say that the cause of fights and quarrels among us is really our own evil desires? Why would he seem to point the finger back at us? And is that even really what he's doing? Well, remember, this is primarily a passage about pride. And James is writing to some Jewish believers who have been displaced from their homes due to persecution. And it's in the midst of that persecution that that these Jewish believers in Jesus have become so focused on worldly things that, that now they're actually fighting with one another over them. Maybe they, they had some needs that weren't being met or, or they, they, they saw that other people had things that they wanted and so they started focusing on those things so much that they were fighting, they were quarreling with one another and James is highlighting this truth for them saying, listen, the problem isn't really your need for those things. The problem is that you're giving in to some evil desires. But the principle for us is not that if you have any form of conflict in your life, that the problem is always your evil desires. No, the principle for us, rather, is, is, is this. It's that we all have evil desires, right? From time to time, we, we all have these desires that, that are, are worldly, that are fleshly, that are, that are evil. And every time we give in to those desires, they will lead to conflict. So not all of our conflict is tied to our evil desires, but every time we give in to our evil desires, it will lead to conflict. Do you see the difference there? Because this is, this is specifically what these, uh, these Christians were dealing with that James is writing to. Okay, they were, they were dealing with some evil, worldly, fleshly desires, and those desires had led to conflict, it's the, it leads us to the first way that pride sneaks in. It's on your notes page if you wanna write it down. Pride sneaks in when I love the things of this world more than I should. When I love the things of this world more than I should. And when we talk this morning about the things of this world, I want you to know these fall into three big categories. These aren't on your notes page. You're welcome to write them down if you want to. But the three big categories are possessions, pleasures, and power. The things of this world fall into those three categories of of possessions, pleasure, and power. And none of these things are inherently evil. I want you to hear me perfectly clearly on that. None of them have, have an inherent, you know, they're not inherently wrong, they're not inherently evil, but when we love any of them more than we should, that's when pride sneaks in. I mean, think about our possessions, right? That's our stuff. And we all love stuff. We love different kinds of stuff, but we all love stuff. Maybe for you it's, it's electronic stuff, or it's sports stuff, or cooking stuff, or hunting stuff, or fashion stuff. Fashion stuff is my big one. I, <clears throat> it really tripped up on it. It's an idol, honestly, for me. And it's nice to have stuff, right? We, we all would say we enjoy having stuff, but the problem isn't having stuff. 
The problem is when stuff has you. And so you get that thing that, that you wanted so badly and almost immediately you're thinking about the next thing, right? What's the next thing that I've got to have so that, so that I can feel, you know, fulfilled, that, I, that I'll feel that feeling that I feel when I get more stuff. I like that feeling. I like my stuff. That's our possessions. You're thinking about pleasure. And pleasure comes in a, a lot of different forms. And some of those things are appropriate. Some of them are not appropriate at all. And we are a culture, quite honestly, that is addicted to pleasure. I mean, we just, we just live for pleasure. And sometimes we desire it so much that we cross lines that should never be crossed. And finally, there's the category of power. And this is just wanting to always be in control, wanting to always call the shots, never submitting, never uh, acting with humility, just, just wanting more and more power. Possessions, pleasure, and power. Those are the three big categories when it comes to loving the things of this world. Now, I want you to see what James says this all leads to in verse he says, you desire, but you do not have, and so you kill. Okay, and, and he, he may be talking about something literal right, right there. I mean, he may be, be thinking about a situation where someone literally killed someone else for what they had. And in our present context, our present culture, that's, that's not unheard of, is it? I mean, you could probably turn on the news right now and hear a story of someone who is killed because they had something that, that someone else wanted. So he may, be, he may be speaking literally here, or he may be referencing what his brother Jesus once said, that if anyone hates his brother, he is a murderer. If you, just, if you just hate that person, you have murder in your heart. And isn't it true that sometimes we see what other people have and it seems like it just comes so easily to them and, and our stuff isn't as great as their stuff or they're in a position we're not in and I hate that guy. Man, I, I hate how easily like, stuff just seems to come to him or I hate, I hate how she just has all of the nicest things all the time. And Jesus says that, that when we have that kind of attitude and that kind of heart, we become murderers in our heart. And that may also be be what James is talking about when he says that we kill. He says, you covet, but you cannot get what you want, and so you quarrel and fight. And you don't have because you don't ask God. Now, James knows that the proud person is unlikely to pray. He's unlikely to ask God for anything because part of, of being a prideful person is, is thinking, man, I'm independent of God. I don't need God. I can provide for myself. The pride person views himself as independent. The humble person views himself as dependent on God. In fact, praying is, is one of the most humble things that you and I can possibly do because it's an act that says, God, I recognize that, that you know everything. Like, I'm not coming to the table to tell you anything you don't already know, but, but I recognize that, that if I don't ask you, if I don't do what you've told me to do in coming to you and asking for these things, like, you're my life source. You're where everything comes from, and it's that humble act of asking and praying. But, but James says, even when the prideful person does pray, they pray with the wrong motives. Look in verse 3. It says, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. And so there we are, back to the, the pleasure thing. It's just, God, give me this. God, give me that. Maybe it Maybe for you it's something like a promotion at work. God, if I could just get that promotion, I'd just make a little bit, a little bit more money, you know, or more influence in the company, or, or maybe it's a, a new car. God, give me a new car. Give me a bigger house, more, uh, more influence, you know, whatever it might be. Maybe that dream vacation. And again, 
There's nothing wrong with any of those things, okay? There's, there's, there's no standard in the Bible that we can turn to and say, okay, well, well, this much is okay, but anything over that, that's too much. It's not in there. That's not in there. But rather, the gauge that we have to use is this, that, that if we are becoming so focused on the things of this world, if we, if we have fallen so in love with the things of this world that they start to take the place of God in our lives, now we've crossed over the line. And here's the deal. When we do that, pride starts sneaking in. And you know what pride says to us in the midst of a moment like that? It's this, it's this message that you deserve that. Like you, you work so hard, you know, you, you put in more hours than anybody even knows. You, were, you deserve that. And we start kind of having this feeling of entitlement and, man, you're home all day with those kids and, and nobody even knows what, what kind of a stress, what kind of a strain you're under caring for those little ones all day long. You deserve, you deserve a better vacation. You deserve a, a bigger vacation. You deserve whatever it might be. And that's pride whispering in your ear and sneaking in. And we start to believe it, don't we? And we start to believe that those things will make us happy. We start to believe that the things of this world can bring some kind of fulfillment, some kind of contentment into our lives. But did you catch earlier what James calls people who love the things of this world more than they should? Look again at verse four, it's strong language. It's really strong language. He says, you adulterous people. And don't rush past that. Paul says when we love the things of this world, for, for, for you who are followers of Jesus, you've surrendered your life to Christ, you said, I'm living for the Lord. When we love the things of this world more than we should, it's like cheating on a husband or a wife. He says it's adultery. It's like having an affair. James says, you adulterous people, don't you know that, that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. I mean, it's, it's so black and white, isn't it? If you, if you love the world, you're an enemy of God. If you, if, you, if you love God, you can't love the things of this world. And it's not that we can't enjoy the good things that God has given us here. He's given us all kinds of really good things here to enjoy, hasn't he? And, and we can enjoy them and we can see them as blessings, but the problem is so often we say that, we say, man, God has just blessed me with so much, right? When really our hearts are turned towards those things, towards those positions or those pleasures, whatever they, they might be. And, and our hearts are so wrapped up in worldly things that we're actually living as enemies of God, James says. And he goes on in verse five, he says, or do you think that scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? Or some versions read that the spirit, referring to the Holy Spirit, that he has caused to dwell in us, longs jealously. Listen, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, he has put his spirit in your heart. And, and we read that, that he has a jealous spirit. He longs for you to, to love God with, with all of your heart and mind and soul and strength. And he is a, he is a jealous God, not in a, a sinful way. We think of that word jealousy as, as kind of a sin. And certainly jealousy can be a sin, but God doesn't sin. God cannot sin. No, he, he jealously longs for our, our devotion the way that a husband or a wife would, would long for the undivided devotion of their spouse. And so God, he doesn't want, just want some of our hearts. He wants all of our hearts. He doesn't 
want some of our attention. He wants all of our attention, all of our devotion. And when we give just even a small part of our hearts to the things of this world, it's like a husband or a wife giving a small part of their heart to someone else, someone outside of their marriage. And it's like cheating on God and living as his enemy. I mean, this is really heavy stuff, isn't it? So what do we do when we find ourselves loving the things of this world more than we should? Well, James doesn't leave us guessing, thankfully. Look at what he says next in verse six. He says, but, but he gives us more grace. God gives us more grace. What an awesome promise of scripture. I mean, we, God is so gracious to us, you guys. And you know what grace is, right? Grace is being given something that you don't deserve. And so I think about passages like Ephesians 2.8 that tell us that it's by grace that we have been saved. Okay, you didn't deserve that. I didn't deserve that. It was grace that God saved us. Or how about this one in 2 Corinthians 12 when Paul says that God's grace is sufficient for you, that his power is made perfect in weakness. And so if you find yourself in a position of battling pride, maybe it's been a lifetime of battling pride, you can know you're not in the battle alone. Like God's grace is sufficient for you. He is fighting alongside of you and his power is made perfect in your weakness. Verse six says, this is why scripture says that God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Now listen, he's gonna make this really plain for us. What should we do? He says, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. This is how you break up with the world, okay? If you're in love with the world, this is how you sever those ties. You choose humility by submitting to God, resisting the devil, drawing close to the Lord. So here's what you do. You make it a daily habit. When you wake up, the first thing out of your mouth is, God, I'm submitting to you today. I'm submitting to your leadership. I'm submitting to your spirit's leadership in my heart. I'm gonna be listening and watching for where he's leading and I'm gonna say yes. Every time I hear your spirit say, do this, don't do that, I'm gonna say yes. That's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna submit myself to you and I want you to know if you do that, like this is not even a maybe. This is gonna happen. The devil is gonna come after you. The enemy is gonna try to trip you up. He's gonna try to knock you off the rails. He's gonna come and he's gonna tempt you. To, to, to give in to those worldly desires. And what do you do? Well, James says you resist him. You resist and you say, no, I'm not, I'm not gonna give in to that. I'm not gonna live that prideful way anymore. I'm gonna choose humility. And instead of, of moving towards the things of this world, you draw close to God. And this is so incredible. James says when we draw close to God, that he moves even closer to us. And that when we humble ourselves before him, that God actually lifts us up. Now think about that for a minute. Because what we're actually doing in pursuing the things of this world is we're trying to lift ourselves up, right? We, we feel a certain way. We want to feel a different way and, and getting something or, or, or taking part in some kind of pleasure or, or gaining power like that makes us, that lifts us up. And James says, no, you, when you submit yourself to God, when you humble yourself before God, you trust him and he moves close to you and he lifts you up. See how this works? And please hear this, it's, 
pride sneaks in. Okay, it's not, it's, it's not that any of us are waking up again and choosing to live pridefully. Like, but sometimes we fall into these patterns, don't we? And we don't, even, we don't even recognize it. So pride sneaks in when I love the things of this world more than I should. And now James is going to show us that pride also sneaks in when I find myself judging others. When I enjoy judging others, that's, that's a form of, of pride. And some of us, if we were being honest, we secretly enjoy sitting back and judging others. And we'd never say that. We'd never admit that was true. But James warns us against this in verses 11 through 12. He says, brothers and sisters. And again, James is, is speaking to, to believers, right? So it's not literal brothers and sisters. This is, this is believers in Jesus. We're all in the family of God. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. He says, brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. Now hang on right there. What's he talking about the law? Well, he's, he's referring to what has been called the royal law. It's, it's the law that says that we are to love our neighbors as ourselves. And when we judge others, what we're doing is we're saying, I don't have to follow that. I, I'm exempt from that law of loving my neighbor as myself. I'm putting myself into the position of judge, and I'm going to judge my neighbor instead of loving my neighbor. That's what he's talking about. And he says, when you judge the law, you're not keeping it. You're not doing what it says to do, but sit, you're sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge. He's talking about God. That's why it's capitalized. The one who is able to save and destroy, but you... Who are you to judge your neighbor? Now, I want you to notice the contrast here between what James has said in verse 9 when he talks about that, that we are to mourn and to wail and our laughter is turned to gloom and it sounds like this, you know, it's really heavy, right? But what he's saying is that the humble person recognizes their own sin, recognizes their own faults and they're broken by it. But now he, he's contrasting that with the prideful person who likes to sit back and just notice the faults of everyone else, never taking stock of their own heart. And so when you think of those two, the, the person broken by sin, the humble person, and the person who loves to find faults in everyone else, the prideful person, like which one of those two better describes you? And again, I'm not looking for an out loud answer or for you to talk with anybody else, but maybe just take an inventory of these things, you know, like, are you quick to point out the faults of others, but slow to recognize your own? Have maybe friends or family members been hurt by your critical spirit? Have you ever jokingly, jokingly said, I have the gift of criticism? Do you struggle with looking at others as inferior? And are you quick to rush to judgment? If your answer to any of those things is yes, just recognize that for what it is. It's pride. Pride has snuck in because when we judge others, we move God off of his rightful place on the seat of judgment. We move him off and we say, I, I have the authority to sit there. I, I, I should be the one who's sitting on that seat. I should be the one that that's, I'm qualified. I'm qualified to sit there. I'm qualified to judge. And folks, that is pride. That is pride, and please hear this. It's not that we are never called to judge. Some people take this passage and others, and they make this their life verse, right? Judge not. Don't judge me. You can't judge me. Judge not, or you'll be judged. And yet, you know what? Yes, 
James has said that. Jesus, his brother, has said that. But do you know that there are some very specific instances in Scripture where believers are called to judge? Like passages like Romans 13 that talks about the fact that civil authorities actually have the right to judge the actions that happen by people in society. I mean, it's just clearly laid out in God's word that that's a time when we are to judge. 1 Corinthians 5 and 6 tells us that the leaders of the church are actually called to account for how they judge sin within their church. And so if someone is sinning within the church, it's the leader's responsibility even to judge that person, to judge that sin. And, and Jesus said in Matthew 18, 15, if your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault. And if you're gonna do that, you're gonna have to make a judgment, aren't you? You're gonna have to judge that your brother has done something sinful. And so there certainly are times when, when we are called to judge, but notice that all of these verses speak to judging behavior right? These are, these are all obvious things that we can see that, that there has been some form of action that has happened that is wrong, that is sinful, but we are never told to judge motives because we don't see the heart. Only God sees the heart, and that's what James is warning against. It's the kind of judgment that's it's not born out of loving another person. That's that's what judging sin is. That's a love for that person. That's wanting them to, to see their error and to, to turn from their wrong ways. But this is a form of judging that really has more to do with harming someone, with destroying someone, it's judging their motives. And it's something that, that we're not even qualified to do anyway. And think about how this maybe plays out sometimes. Maybe there's a person that has, has hurt you in some way. Maybe there's a, there's a person who, uh, just even by the, their, good, you know, their good deeds, the, the way that they, they act around people, we're maybe a little bit jealous of that in a sinful way. And we see that, and maybe it raises up some kind of a insecurity inside of us, something that we know we're not really that good at. Maybe, they, again, they have something that we want, and, and uh, we just can't get it. And so instead of loving that person, maybe we default to judging them, and we, we judge their motives, and we think, well, I, you know what? She gives a lot of money to, to church, but I bet she only does that for the tax benefit. Like, that's, why else would she give that much money, right? She just wants that tax benefit. Or you see somebody doing something good, and, and you think, well, I, I bet he just does that because he knows people are watching, and he wants people to think that he's better than he is, and he's really not that good. And we judge the motives, don't we? judge people's motives, or, or he acts really nice at church, or, or she's so nice when other people are around. I bet she's awful at home. And we make statements like this, and James says, brothers and sisters, again, you know, the, the family of God, we're not supposed to act like that towards one another. Don't do that. Don't slander each other. Don't judge motives. That's not your job. That's pride sneaking in, and God opposes that. He opposes the proud. But you know what? And James doesn't say this, at least not explicitly right here, but here's, here's where you can never, you'll never go wrong with this. When you feel that thing inside of you rising up and you, and, and you want to judge someone's motives, here's what you do. Here's what you do. You love your neighbor as yourself. You can never go wrong taking that path. When you, you don't know what the motives are, you see something, you love your neighbor as yourself. It's what scripture clearly commands us to do. You may think that person is obnoxious and they may be, it doesn't matter. You just love them, okay? You, you, you may wonder what their motive, they have mixed motives, what are they doing? That? Not, it's not yours to figure out. You just love them. You think they might be living one way at church and another way at home, or you, you love them. That's your job. 
Your job is to love your neighbor as yourself and leave judging the heart to God because he's the only one who's qualified to do it. All right, one more way that pride sneaks in. We're gonna see it in verse 13. And here's what James says. He says, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city. We'll spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Well, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. And then jump down to verse 16. He kind of finishes this thought. He says, as it is though, you boast in your arrogant schemes and all such boasting is evil. Okay, and here's the point. Pride sneaks in when I brag about my plans for the future. You can write that down. When I brag about my plans for the future, and we, we all do this, right? We, we maybe have even fallen in a pattern of doing this, and we need to, to rethink how we communicate things because we'll say things like, like well, over Christmas, we're gonna go and, and spend Christmas break in Florida, or next year, I'm gonna sell the business, or I'm gonna look for, I'm gonna have a new job by this time next year. I'm gonna marry that girl, or I'm gonna marry that guy. And James is simply reminding us that we have no idea how any of this is going to play out. We don't know what'll happen tomorrow. We don't know what'll happen a, a week from now, certainly not a year from now. I mean, a doctor's appointment could change everything, right? A phone call from your boss could change everything. The words from, from maybe even a fiance of, hey, we need to talk, that could change everything. And do you realize that, that God could take your life today? Like, th this, could be, this could be your last day on planet Earth. That's why we bought an AED out in the lobby, because this may be it for some of you, okay? And if you go down, I'm going to shock you hard, prob probably twice, okay? Unless you're on a very short list, and then I'm just going to let you go. But everybody else, I'm going to try to get you back. But listen, it could happen today, and we don't live with that kind of perspective, do we? Like we don't live, we, that would be kind of morbid, I guess, to wake up every day and think, I might die today. But it, but it really is just living with an understanding that I may have all of these plans that I've made, but really I have no idea how any of this is gonna play out. And so James says, this is better. This is a better way to approach it. He says in verse 15, instead, what you ought to say is, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. And that's such a small tweak, isn't it? Like it, it seems like such a small thing, but the heart behind it is huge and, and it's so important. It's remembering my life is a mist. I'm here today, I'm gone tomorrow, so I wanna make sure I'm living my life and the way that God wants me to live my life. If it's the Lord's will for me to go here or to do that or, or marry this person or that person or have kids or adopt kids or whatever it might be, if it's the Lord's will, I say yes. And if it's not, then again, I'm submitting myself to God. I'm submitting myself to him because I don't want to live a prideful life bragging about my plans all the while missing God's plans for me. And so then James concludes this chapter with some very familiar words in verse 17. He says, if anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Okay, so don't, don't just know the right thing you gotta do the right thing. Does that sound familiar to some of you? Let me say it a different way. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. Those were James' words in week one when we studied James 1, verse 22. You gotta put this stuff into action. 
If you want to overcome pride in your life, this isn't the kind of thing that you can just study away. This isn't the kind of thing that you can just learn more stuff and then all of a sudden you're just going to be a less prideful person. No, you study, you get into God's word, you identify what those things are where pride might be sneaking in, and then you take action against it. And again, James has laid out for us what that action is. You you humble yourself before God. That's the first step. You submit to, to his leadership, to the leadership of his Holy Spirit in your heart. And then when the devil comes to distract you, you resist him. Because James tells us when we resist him, he'll flee from us. And instead of giving in to temptation, what do you do? You draw close to God. And when we do that, God draws right back close to us. And when we humble ourselves in that way, he's the one who lifts us up. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And maybe for some of you this morning, you're starting to recognize maybe an area of your heart where pride has snuck in. Maybe it's been allowed to grow there unchecked. And maybe it has to do with, you know, loving the things of this world, the possessions, the power, the pleasure that maybe are in front of you and and you're recognizing, man, I've put way too much focus and attention on those things. And and it's time for you to confess that to the Lord. Maybe you've recognized that, that you're kind of judgmental towards others or maybe not kind of judgmental. You're really, this thing's out of control and you've really put yourself in the place of God in the place of judging and it's recognizing, God, I, I want to be broken by my own sin. I, I want to see the faults inside of me as vividly as I see the faults in everyone else, and it's asking God to really help you change your heart and your mind when it comes to judging others. Or, or maybe for you, it has to do with all of the plans that you've made and, and all of the things that you're hoping for and, and really coming to recognize, man, I, I didn't make God any part of that equation. Like, I didn't pray over that. I, I didn't seek God's will over that. And it's confessing those things, and it's reevaluating those things, and it's asking God, What's your will for my life? I got this all laid out, but if you're not part of it, it's going in the garbage. And I want to reevaluate that today. We've got an opportunity this morning to take communion together. And I'm going to invite the host team. You can go ahead and come forward, start passing out the elements. And I want you to know if you're a follower of Jesus, if you surrendered your life to Christ, even if this is your first time at Genesis Church, we invite you to take these elements with us. You're going to find two cups stacked together. Please take them both. The bread is in the bottom cup and the juice is in the top cup. If, if you've not yet received Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're free to just let this plate pass by you. But here's the thing, that, that bread, it represents the body of Christ broken for us and the juice, it represents Christ's blood poured out on our behalf. And, and we're told that when we eat the bread and we drink the cup, that we are to remember the sacrifice that Christ made on our behalf until he returns. And so we're going to do that today together. I want you just to hold on to those elements right now. Because before you take them, I want you to think and I want you to pray and to remember this one very specific thing today. That the God of the universe chose humility over pride for you. The God of the universe chose humility over pride for you and for me. And we read in Philippians chapter two that our attitudes should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, 
did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, something to be used to his own advantage. He didn't play the God card. No, rather, he, he made himself nothing. He took the nature of a servant and he was made into human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, the scriptures tell us that he humbled himself and he became obedient to death, even the horrible death of a cross. And he did that for your sins and for my sins. And now we're told that, that our attitude is to be the same as Christ Jesus. And as I read those passages, I have to believe that the attitude Paul is pointing towards is humble obedience. That's the attitude that Christ Jesus had, humble obedience. And maybe for you this morning, you're recognizing some areas of your heart where humble obedience is not the identifier. And pride has snuck in and pride has been allowed to grow unrestrained. And I just want you to know God's grace is enough. His grace is sufficient for you, but we need a time like this to remember, to confess, to maybe recommit to following the Lord's Spirit and to inviting the Lord's Spirit to help us have victory over pride in our lives. So that's what I want you to do as you hold those elements. And then in your time, thank the Lord for his sacrifice. Take the elements and remember what he did on our behalf.